as promised, the Marshall Ferguson, uh, Yates Cup winning quarterback in his own right. Yeah, that's right. We got to get it is quarterback talk with regards to the Yates Cup as we've got Evan Hillock and Taylor Augusma going head to head this Saturday live from I keep wanting to call it TD Waterhouse Stadium. Dude, I called it TD Waterhouse during the OUA awards while I was hosting in front of people from the OUA. What what is it now? I called it. It's like it's it's another alumni stadium. Great. Yeah, because we already have one in Windsor. I'm pretty sure Guelph's alumni stadium is what, like, we we don't need more alumni stadiums. We get that the alumni pay for a lot of the amenities, but. You know what? The game is on Remembrance Day. Whatever happened to a good memorial stadium? You know, Richardson. Richardson Memorial Stadium. There we go. Memorial Stadium. I remember going to, uh, what what was where the Kingston Frontenacs played? It was the M Center. It was the Memorial Center. Memorial Center, yeah. Uh, just north of Queen's Campus there in the middle of town. Yeah. Hey, whatever happened to the Memorial? You know, it's still standing. That's where, the, that's where the Gales play all their games. There we go. That's my take of the day, though, is bring back the Memorial Centers and the Memorial Stadiums, okay? Uh, one thing we don't have to bring back is high-scoring Yates Cups because I think we are in for one this week. Yeah. I mean... If I told you you get two quarterbacks going 70-plus percent completions with great receiver weapons, you're going to be like, oh, that's a 45-42 that's a final, right? Like, that's, that's what we're looking at, I, I'm assuming. Yeah, I, I think it's probably going to be uh, one of those both coaches script out the first 10, first 15, potentially – try to set some things up for later in the game, get a feel on what the other side is doing. And then because I've played in Yates cups and even the ones I didn't play in, it's you have a pretty good sense for the energy and the emotion that exists in a Yates cup, because it is just so different from any other playoff game up until that point in the season. Like obviously when you get to the national bowl games, it's, it's even more ratcheted up, but I mean, Steph Patasic at McMaster. I remember after we won it in 2011, the the morning after held the Yates Cup to everybody and said, we might go on and win a national championship this year. We might win a national semifinal. Nothing will be more special than beating Western at Western for a Yates Cup. He just straight up he just straight up said that. And it wasn't that it was, you know, we got him and, you know, kind of uh, being an idiot about it and cocky. And it was him just saying the feeling that you have had for the last 18 hours since we won that game, you will never feel a feeling in football that is like that. Even if we win the Vanier. And you know what? We won the Vanier that year. And he was kind of right. Like, beating Laval was sweet. But I'm not sure it was more special than beating Western at Western and a Yates. So that was kind of the theme that I had going into this one. Talking to people at the OUA Awards was, like, is, is Laurier mentally prepared to actually do this because everybody talks about going in Mm -hmm. there and doing it and what you need to your point Wade is you've got to have a high scoring offense because after you go through that feeling out period you're going to end up having end of the first quarter maybe start of the second quarter it's always fireworks because the jitters have, have gone away the quarterbacks have gotten hit a couple of times the, you've got a lather of sweat going. You feel like you get your second burst of cardio as a receiver because you've been running to and from the huddle and to and from the sideline and working on specials. And when people actually get into the rhythm of the game, I find in the eighth, it's kind of like, feel it out, see what happens. And then you could have like, honestly, between these two teams, you could have a 30-point second quarter and nobody would be surprised. 
No, and I think that these two quarterbacks are the perfect guys to do so. Well, Elgersmo with his deep ball ability and Hillock, who, you know what? He rifles the ball as hard as he can, and he puts a wicked velocity on it. But the receivers get downfield so damn fast for Hillock that, you know what? He can let a one-seam or two-seam ball go 30, 40 yards, and it can end up being a 70-yard play for the Mustangs. Yeah, and I think the thing that people kind of misrepresent with Evan is that because he's a slightly smaller, slender guy, and then you look at basically like Ivan Drago on the other side for the Lord, (laughs) is that you end up basically thinking, oh, well, you know, he can't send it deep, like you're saying. And it's not, I don't want this to like, (laughs) thankfully. It's not that he can't, it's that he doesn't need to. Right. When he has it, he puts it out there. It's a difference in style, obviously, in the way that these two play the game. But it's also like, I was just to say, I don't want this to get clipped out of context. So thankfully, this is our podcast because we don't clip ourselves out of context. But when I see like the way that June Jones did stuff with the Tiger Cats when he was here, Mm -hmm. where it's like, let's get smaller receivers that are fast and put the ball up early for them because the Tiger Cats didn't have the biggest arm quarterback. Like Colt Brennan was never the strongest arm at Hawaii but he was playing with dudes who were small and fast and he would put the ball up early for them and they would run underneath it. It's one of those things that like, um, usually when you look at those charts that have average depth of target versus versus release time, the quarterbacks that get it out real quick are throwing it real short. And the quarterbacks that hold onto it a long time are throwing it real deep. If you are a quarterback who can offset that chart where you're getting it out quickly and deep, which by the way is what Tua has done for the first half of the season in the Mm -hmm. NFL, which is crazy. When you see that, I think that's where you start to realize a person and a quarterback's understanding of their offensive system. And that's what Hillock does in Western's offense is he does get it up early on target for the most part, but he does it accurately down the field without trying to wait and wait and wait and then throw it as deep as he can. So, yeah, they play it a little bit differently in terms of style, but the result is not that different. In terms of like looking at guys from college, like I think the way Baker Mayfield threw the ball at Oklahoma years back, like it looks like he has to put everything he has into every throw. That's just because his frame is a bit smaller. So the torque and the whip looks more dramatic and violent. Whereas Elgersma, who's kind of like a Justin Herbert, you know, it's a long arm, it's a longer windup, and it just looks so relaxed and easy. The ball's still traveling the same distance. The ball still travels the same velocity as the other quarterbacks. But just the appearance and your eyes have to adjust to it in the game is like, oh, man, this is different. And yeah. with Hillock, I mean, I think the Baker Mayfield thing I might kind of run with because he does have the moxie. He does have the fieriness in him. But he's hitting the ball at a very high percentage to very good receivers. And he makes them look as good as they make him look. If that makes yeah, sense to you. Like, absolutely. The other thing that jumps out to me with this too is as much as we talk about just straight up pocket passing and what these guys do when the pocket's clean, all the rest, like they're both mobile, right? Yeah. They can both get out, move around and, and do a little bit. But the one that I'm really interested in is like, we fully expect this to be a six fullback Saturday, like three fullbacks per side are going to dress, are going to play, are going to have an impact on the game. Are they all going to play offensively? No, like it's going to be special teams and contributing in a variety of different ways. But the thing that jumps out to me is which of these teams, and I'll be watching for this as much as I can while doing play-by-play because it's not easy to try and, you know, do analytics in your brain while you're also trying to keep track of the game. But 
which of these teams in their first 10, 15 plays sets up the home run play action shot by pounding the rock two or three times out of the same look, mm-hmm. because that's an inevitability. Like, Oh, that, I guarantee is- you it's going to be the first play for the Laurie Goldhawks. They're going to get a wide zone going, or they're going yeah. to pull someone off the left side with Quinton Scott. They're going to let him just hammer away for a couple of yards. But later in the game, that turns into Taylor pulling it, pausing for a second and hitting Jordan or Jutaleo or Raiden yeah. on a dig. Like they have killed teams. Queens from week one, even until what Windsor last week killed teams on intermediate routes over the middle that come off of pull it, pop it, lace it over the linebackers' heads, and here we go. We're getting yards and moving the ball. And that's the thing, too, with Western's linebackers is like, okay, you've already seen what Elgersma has in his playing style. You watch all the tape. You understand the tendencies. You understand the offensive scheme. It's like, so who decides to go off script first? Because I don't think that they can necessarily rely on let's just go to the same stuff because the like the linebackers are going to get so much depth knowing that Elgersmo wants to show off the big arm and may hit the home run. And, and it's, this is always the the mental challenge of playing against Western. And I think it's why so many people, it, honestly, Western was kind of ahead of their time a little bit on this because this is leaked into the CFL forcing quarterbacks to complete passes, go eight for 10 and march their team down the field. Short, 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 yeah. short yards after the catch, short average depth of target. Like, Elgersmo might do that where it's a running, you know, run look and pull it and get a little bit more depth. And he wants to just load it up and throw the thing a country mile. And the linebackers get so much depth underneath it. He's like, oh, I can squeeze it into that window. Or he just he goes, can, hey, Quentin Scott. Or he can humble and just look right in front of him and go, wow, the linebackers are 25 yards downfield. And that's that's a really, really hard thing to train your eyes as a quarterback to do. And it's on your coaches to drill that into him this week at practice, where it's like, we're putting these concepts in. If you have the window, you can take it. We trust you. But you have to know if you don't have the window, take the check down, take the crosser, take the under, take the whatever it is. Yeah. It trust your receivers and that will move the sticks for you. And we can stay and play another down where we can get one of those home run shots in. But it's really hard the difference between telling a quarterback to do that and then them executing it every single time the entire game because your eyes get so much more hungry than they should be because you think this is the one. And it's like, that's what Western wants you to think is to always think this is the one. And then they drop out underneath it and you throw a pick right into a linebacker's face mask. Uh, as we keep talking about this, like the lack of a key on Edwards for Evan Hillock in the passing game, I know in the run game, it's a huge loss for them, but in terms of pass pro and in terms of just kind of accessing your running backs out of the field, when you were playing, like if you get a second string or you're rotating guy in, are you as comfortable sitting in the pocket in 60 pro if it's not your top guy sitting there with you? It's funny because I like I was super fortunate at Mac at various times to have like just straight up ridiculous pass protecting backs. So if it was our first string guy, the answer was, yeah, we're good. If it was second string, a lot of the time it was still yes. Different teams have different amount of drop-off and obviously different skill sets and different body types. Um, I think Western is going to feel secure in that. I do think, like, you know, if, if Quinn Scott rolls an ankle or something like that and they have to downgrade size-wise, I think that might Oh, Tanner Nelms is, is just as big for Laurier. <laughs> yeah, I know that, but I'm just saying, like, if you start plussing in receivers to try and solve mm-hmm. the solution, 
like right if you decide well let's go let's go more spread and then we still got to chip in and you know maybe you don't respect the western pass rush up front as much and so you decide to start uh you know leaving linemen on a, on an island a little bit more whatever it might be then that i think might be concerning for a quarterback but for me it's just like the idea of running backs being aware of the sticks down distances situations and then also having your receivers hyper aware of of coverage in these games is just so important because the whole name of the game is like let's be real about this at the age that these guys are right when you're in university ego emotion all plays into it and you see the banners and you see the crowd and you see the trophy and the stage sitting in the corner and you always want to beat the guy who makes the play and in my opinion, it is the quarterback, to be honest with you, but really it's the team that puts that aside in this specific matchup and just plays an honest, smart game that will be the ones that will actually be holding the trophy at the end. I think if Ego comes into it at all for Laurier of trying to prove that they can you know, flex on the bully that is Western, then they're going to fail. Like you don't go in there trying to flex on them and prove yourself. You just, you prove yourself by winning first down so you can get to second and four. So you can open up the playbook and frustrate them. Now they can't get into their blitz packages and on and on and on it goes. They just have to play smart and try to win each play in front of them. That's it. Uh, All right. I got a couple more for you. One is about this Western offense and how it's kind of morphed. Connor and I talked like they don't have a left hand when Evan Hillock is the quarterback, but it seems like it's more of an aerial assault first this year than anything I've ever seen from Western, even in the Chris Merchant, even in the Will Finches of my time. Like this looks like it's a team that wants to throw the ball early and often to then spread you out and set up their run game. Is, yeah. like, is that something you've seen as well going into this game? Yeah. And to be honest, like I haven't watched as much of them as you've been able to throughout the season, just because of my, my CFL commitments, but I do agree from what I've seen of them. And I've watched little bits and pieces of, you know, the semi and looking back at their game against Laurier. And I I do see that. And I think there's two things that have created that one is um, the maturation of Hillock. Like there's, there's always, and we were talking about it before we actually started recording here. There's always a relationship between Greg Marshall and his quarterback. There's, Mm -hmm a growth and a trust level. And you can almost see it like through the history of quarterbacks that have come through at Western, whether it be Falds or Donnie or Finch or now like Evan is that you can almost go, okay, in, in first year, he's going to let his quarterbacks do this. Yeah. In, in second year, he's going to let him do that. In third year, he's going to bump it up and then they're allowed to do this. And then in fourth year there, and it's like, he gives them extra leeway and a little bit more creativity and freedom and more time with the ball in their hands. You could see at various points, even in the early, early times of Hillock where he's the freshman, they're going on and having so much success that it was like, he was kind of along for the ride. It was like, yeah. he'd make a three, but it was just like, yeah, they're just going to beat everybody up. The second part of this outside of Hillock being given more freedom and, and I guess patience by his head coach is I, I don't think this is the run blocking Western line that we have seen of years past. Like they have had, and this isn't a bad line. Don't get me wrong. It's just, no, that, but they've been hemorrhaging CFL talent. Like that's yeah, hemorrhaging like, is the word that you think of losing everyone, but they're, 
elevating them to the next level, right? Like, yeah, like Fry moves on, Grahovic moves on. And when you start having those body types leave, they're always going to backfill and be effective. These guys are big bodies, but I just, I think in terms of people movers, I've been mm. through a lot of Western teams where you look at their, usually at least three of their five starting offensive linemen, you feel like can move anybody in the country. And this year, the group, I'd be like, well, maybe one or two, but it's, yeah. it's overall as a group, it's not overwhelming. So I think those are the two things that jump out to me as to why they've like likely made a little bit more of that philosophical shift. Um, but again, like, would anybody be surprised if they get up by 10 points in this game? Laurier's desperate. They know they're going to keep throwing their way back into it. And then they go into, okay, we might not get a mode, <laughs> but we might not pound it with like, you know, power and, you know, guard and H counter and those kind of things. But we might basically bunch the box and then just start going swing screens and bubble screens and tunnel you know screens. What I've seen a ton of this year from Western as like their counter to loaded boxes is jailbreak screens. Yep. Getting Savon, getting Mo Jamal, just kind of here, easy completion. We'll get the clock rolling. Now you guys are best athletes. Run behind the 300 pounders. Let them yep. let them get out front. And to me, like I have not seen Western run that many jailbreak screens as I have this year. And it's the ultimate pressure counter. And then you get ultimate mismatches, right? The 300 against the 180, 195, right? The, the small receiver that's just hard to find amongst all those bodies. <laughs> oh, and they also happen to be the fastest guys on the field. Because right. so talking like with Vince Magri this year, he's like, dude, Savon, when we brought him in, all of the guys at the Argos camp like thought he was an American guy. Like, oh, like he's got to be American if he's coming in, he's this small. And then all of a sudden he starts taking off and flying past people. And they're like, where did we find this guy? And he's like, oh, just, just at Western. Yeah, just, yeah, don't worry. He's up the street. <laughs> like it's it's just crazy to see how fast he is on any field with any talent against him. Yeah, totally. And again, you get him the ball on a jailbreak, and then now you can pump that one side and come back the other way and throw a fade ball to another <laughs> receiver who's now you've got man coverage all over the place and you've timed it up. So there's a lot of advantages to hitting some of those pressure releases because you can throw yourself out of them or you can also use them to be aggressive. And I think Western will likely do that. Mm -hmm. And I guess kind of the last thing that I really want to talk about is like we mentioned earlier about this whole Michael Falls going into Western and you looking back and seeing like over his 10 years, seven of 10 have been meeting Western in the playoffs, whether that's him beating or losing to yeah. depends on the year. But I said to you, like, think about Donovan Bennett's tweet, which I had mentioned on the Tuesday episode for those listening about, or I guess on the, yeah, OUA recap and Tuesday show about how Western has made 16 of 18 Yates Cups in the last year. Well, if you do the math, Fald's played in the 09 Yates as a final year of his career. Okay, so let's go back a few. That gets us to about 05, 06. Uh, Michael Fald started this damn monster. Yeah, and now he he's the one that has the task of trying to fight against it every single year it seems yeah and you think about it right because like greg marshall goes mcmaster to hamilton and then when he comes out of hamilton he goes to western and he's like okay i'm plotting my revenge tour in the oua who am i gonna go get and he finds himself a kid from like coming out of toledo and he's like yeah get him get him up here let's see what we can create and so he pulls falls in and then yeah, I mean, it's incredible to think that he started it and then they've had this insane run since he's had so much success. 
but you can't it's getting to the point where you cannot talk about Greg Marshall as a coach or or Western without talking about Michael Falls as a coach or Laurier because they're so intertwined over the last decade, which I honestly think like, you know, when we were in the Vanier Cup in 2011 and we won it, and then 2012, they sold a billion tickets at Skydome because it was, you know, best game ever rematch and all this stuff. This isn't a rematch, right, necessarily, because they didn't play in the eights mm-hmm. last year. It was a semi-final loss, 45-9 against Western in 2022. So it was a semi-loss. But then you go back through the history of it, as you're saying, 7 of the 10, because they didn't make the playoffs in 13, 18, or 19. But in the seven years where they've gone to the playoffs, like you have had 2014 quarterfinal loss, 25-10 to Western. This is what I'm talking about, Laurier, obviously. 2015, they're 4-4, four and four, semi-final loss, 32-18 to 18 to Western. Uh, 2016, they're seven and one. That, of course, was the 43-48 Cup win at Western. So they beat them in one. They've lost them in two. Then you go 2017, the next year, Western's pissed off. 75-32 semifinal loss for the Wilfrid Laurier Golden Hawks. Ever the playoffs in 18 and 19. COVID hits in 2020. So at that point, it had been three years since they had been in the playoffs because of COVID and, and being out of the playoffs two straight seasons. They come back in a partial season. They're three and three, second in the OUA West. Quarterfinal loss, 31-18. To Guelph. It's the only playoff date they've had over the last decade where they have not either ended or ended the season of the Western Mustangs. So this isn't necessarily a rematch, but this is a decade's worth of history between these two coaches and organizations and cultures. And um, yeah, I mean, I will try not to wax poetic too much about that throughout the broadcast on on Saturday, but I, I just find that to be it's so incredible because wait, I said this at the OUA football awards today, like to their face. I said, this is such a unique story. This is such a uniquely Canadian story because how many times do you see in NCAA uh, football where one coach has such a run of, of success and longevity that he keeps his job forever. And he also sees his quarterback go on to become over a decade plus a really damn good coach who gets to build his own culture and his own organization and also keep his job for a decade plus coaches in the NCA are changing. Like obviously you've got your Mike Dundee, yeah. you know what I mean? Like your guys that are just like institutions and your bill smarts that are at Kansas state forever. But for the most part, that just, that isn't a thing. Everybody's looking for the next salary and the transfer portal and the next job. And Guys up here, it's like if you get well, a great job, forced out like Jimothy Harbaugh, Connor's Connor's <laughs> man in khakis. But uh, that's beside the point. By the way, it took everything in me today not to make a joke about Connor Stallions having a connection to the Western Mustangs since since they're Mustangs. It, I don't know. There there was something. There was something there, and I didn't. I just I I couldn't. Or you it. could you could have pulled a sign stealing joke because Falds knows the Western system so well. No, that's sign stealing happens at every single level. <laughs> I am guaranteeing it. Like I was even thinking back to like when Connor and I played for the Grand of the Years, and I'm like, when we played Myers, we knew on the defense that blood. It was like two was their call for like a freeze, a hard count. So one year, uh, myself and another linebacker, Tristan Bell, started to call it out in the first game we played Myers. We'd hear blood, blood. We'd go, hard count, hard count. So we went back to them. They had changed the signal. It was yeah. still something red. It took us a drive to figure it out, but it was something red. So they would change whatever they said, and they would just echo like whatever 
like stop sign or that would be a really innovative one to use for freeze but something red was what they used like pasta sauce or whatever i don't know what it was. i can't remember <laughs> but they just kept changing it because we had caught on to their signal for their hard count which usually froze a lot of teams out and got them free yards right so I don't know. Yeah, stealing is a different topic, and and we're focused on the quarterbacks here who are not stealing as many signals. But I I agree. I'll I'll just share this with you that I find to be funny is uh, first of all I was too stupid to try and steal anybody else's signals, so whatever. Um, but the one that always jumps out to me is when we were playing Guelph in the 2014 Yates Cup because this is you know a Yates Cup quarterback in discussion. Um, we had a call for something. I forget what it was. I think it was just like a check to an inside run or something. But we called yeah. it once, and it was it was decent called it a second time they called it out they like they literally it was one time and they they it was like when you're playing madden or yeah. nca you're like slant d line left blitz everyone because you're like i know exactly what play you're in so they they came after us and they they beat us on it and i ran to the sideline instead of our coaching staff they know like we got to change that whatever and to the credit of our coaching staff they go we're not going to change it we're just going to use it against them and so they were like we're going to keep on the original play, which is essentially a, like a man beater against a heavy blitz. And they're like, we'll put you under center. We'll do that call. You guys got to act like you're switching into a different play, you know, look at each other and check. Okay. Yeah. Let's run the play. And then we just ran the original play. <laughs> so we, we, we got well to change into the defense that we wanted by <laughs> audibling into the play that we weren't audibling into at all. And it was the most rewarding thing. Cause it was like, run fake and i turned around and my receiver was open by eight yards and i was like whoa layup yes <laughs> i was like that was a really easy completion oh <laughs> uh, well i'm excited for this one because it's not like we've been kind of spoiled we got Vreekin last year who was in like his infancy of his starting um kind of yeah. going against hillock who was trying to establish himself i feel like this year we've got Elgrisma who spent two summers with the argos in training camp and we've got Hillock, who has won the awards and has been at the East-West Bowl already. And he has established himself. And now it's just head-to-head. They both yeah. have good receivers. They both have good offensive lines. The defenses are loaded with playmakers. So it's not like you can really argue one roster over the other. It's going to come down to who's the bigger dude and who's going to make more plays. Yeah, 100%. And like I said, the difference for me is simply about understanding when to be aggressive and when to be smart with the football man it's i know it's not sexy i know it's not why people go to football games to see checkdowns and crossers i as much as i'm a fan of pass efficiency i'm an even bigger fan of the home run and being vertical and i mean watching Vernon Adams jr in the cfl uh western <laughs> semifinal incredible because he was just throwing it 15, 20, 25 yards down the field every other play. It was so much fun because you just don't see that in the CFL very much anymore. But my fear for Laurier is that you got all this talent. You got a team that's worthy of beating Western, has the potential to beat Western. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's still going to take a hell of a lot of effort and a great game for them to get it done. But it's pretty rare in the, for a team in the OUA lately to have a real legitimate claim to fame of we could have beat them in the regular season we can beat them in the eights cup they've got all that going for them but will they allow wanting to be the star wanting to make the big play will that get in the way of them just playing smart football and if, if they listen to faults they'll be fine because yeah he knows, he knows exactly how to win games like this but i'm not sure 
whether or not they'll listen to him every single play of the game in every single situation. And that's where you run into trouble when you're on the road in London. And I think like the the way they lost the first game too about going down so much so early is going to play into that. Like, okay, if, as long as we don't start flat, right. we're going to beat these guys because look at what we did the last time we played. We just annihilated them in the second half, but it was just such a big deficit. That to me is like they're going to start pushing early and it's going to be up to Falls to kind of simmer the boiling pot if you would and kind of say, okay, guys, relax. It's a long yeah. game. Let's play this for 60 minutes. Let's try to win it in the first two. Yeah, 100%. 100%. All right. Uh, I don't know if you heard, but uh, Scott Hutter is running a tailgate, you know, like Edmonton <laughs> Elks, Scott Hutter. For those, in quote, wearing the proper shade of purple, I don't know if you want to go. We're going to be at the game. We might as well step outside and, and see some purple. I think you should do what, <laughs> tailgate uh, preview. what all of the great media companies do in the United States of America, where, where they just strap a microphone to one of their personalities and they interview drunk people about their thoughts on the game. Uh, Connor and I have done the tailgate for a Yates Cup before. It feels like I'm cheating on my partner for doing it without Connor if I do decide to go out <laughs> to the tailgate. Uh, but no, I might I might mosey on out and see what the Lori Goldhawks tailgate. I'm wearing a neutral shade of purple, I think, for the game, by the way. Is there such a thing for this game? I feel like if you have any purple on, then you're claiming well, other if you look at if you look at this purple here, this is a golf shirt. I'm not wearing this. It is a light purple. Both of these teams don darker shades. That to me is like, okay, if I wear light purple, you can't really tell which one I'm supporting. I swear, wait, if you show up and you're wearing mauve. Uh, <laughs> Maybe I'll just show up and wear like the ultimate hot pink shirt to just contrast <laughs> everything. No, I don't, I don't know. But thank you so much, Marshall, for joining me on this one. Uh, I'll see you in London. It's an exciting time to be heading back out there that way as we get to hand out championship trophy again yeah i agree thanks for having me on buddy i appreciate it. it's gonna be uh gonna be a good one and i'm glad we had a good conversation breaking it down because i know that uh man there's a lot of angles to it so yeah it'll be a lot of fun and at the end of the day i'm sure we'll have more to discuss than we do in the preview all right stay tuned everyone for the uh friday i'm gonna put this one tomorrow friday will be like the look ahead for the conference finals as well as the talk about skill players for the AIDS cup as we kind of round out the major topics heading into this one. So stay tuned. As always, check us out on socials at CF Perspective. We will see you in London.